Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 79. The crew is in attendance. Chaz, as always, accompanied by Seth and Richard. Seth, how's it going? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. How are you guys? Doing all right. Richard, what's up? What's up, guys? What's going on? It's it's going. Cancel all our, the rest of our appointments. We'll come back in October when... Uh, <laughs> collected company is out of here might as well skip the pro We're, tour <laughs> skip the pro tour cancel our appointments we'll see you guys back in october when uh hopefully things uh settle down nah just kidding but kind of not really uh so on the docket today we are going to be talking about the san diego uh comic-con planeswalker pack richard is very excited until he figured out a, a certain little minor detail that i <laughs> told him before we recorded we're going to talk about the Eldritch Moon shenanigans with the searchable Eldritch Moon packs that we just realized, uh, or what, earlier this morning, right, Seth? Something about that over the weekend? Yeah. I think last night or this morning, news started to trickle out about it, yeah. Yeah, so no, uh, no big surprise why my pre-release pool was terrible, but... You know, that's beside the point. And week one Columbus, that's the biggest thing. Eldritch Moon is released. We got to see it in action with Standard, and you can already tell we're very excited. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, but not really. Uh, so let's just start off with the San Diego Comic-Con Planeswalker announcement. Richard, you're super excited about this, so why don't you take the lead on this one? All right, so as everyone knows, every year uh, for the past two years, this year being the third, they released special edition Planeswalkers at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, the previous two editions have been black-on-black -black foil cards, uh, which, which Chaz likes a lot. This year, they decided to mix it up, and they have Liliana in human form, and the other four Planeswalkers are zombified versions of them. So Gideon has his arm hanging off his neck, Jace's brain is missing... Uh, it's just really sweet art. Uh, so that's this year's Comic-Con. Uh, they just announced it last week. Comic-Con already happened this past weekend. So some people already have theirs. And it's going to go on the shop sometime in the future. We suspect next Monday, so this coming Monday. But no official word uh, has been given out yet. Yeah, and like always, it's just a rat race to see how fast you can hit F5 and refresh the page. I mean, they're literally gone within a few minutes, but like, like Richard said, we suspect that it's going to be up the Monday, so August 1st, uh, after the con. But I would, I would tune into the Hasbro news on Twitter just to double-check. So, Seth, what do you think of the promos before I uh, talk about them? I like them. I think they look really cool. I guess my my standard of liking or not liking cards is pretty unscientific. It's just like, I think they look cool, especially Nyssa and Gideon, I think really stand out as a couple of the, the best looking ones. And I like the black on black Planeswalkers, but I was getting to the point where it felt a little played out. When I first saw them, I thought they were like so sweet and just so different than anything we'd seen before. And now after two or three years of getting them every year, I kind of lost that wow factor from the first time I saw them. And when I first saw these zombie ones, it was, it was pretty close. I don't know if it was quite as good as the first time I saw the black on black planeswalkers, but it was something different and pretty exciting, so I'm happy with the change, personally. Yeah, I can I can see that people are excited. It is different, so I will concede that point. It is different. 
But I mean, come on. Zombies really like if this was a couple years ago, I understand. Maybe it's just the Walking Dead has inundated us as a society with zombies just over like just jamming it down our throats. So it's like kind of like, you know, like, uh, I don't know. And then to top it all off, they decided to get away from the black on black, which I thought is a great representation of the San Diego Comic-Con, like, the, the the process and the promo. Like, that's definitely San Diego Comic-Con. This kind of felt like fan-made art, and then they just slapped the, like, from the vault foiling on there. So, great. After a year, they're going to be nice and curled for everyone, which led to Aaron uh, making a awesome tweet about what people don't like about the foiling process. And... He got an overwhelming amount of, you know, people don't like the fact that they curl, the fact that they have that weird sheen on them. So hopefully in the future, they kind of correct those mistakes. If anything, that's a positive that comes out of this. But I don't know. I think a great compromise would have kept keep the black on black. Because, again, it's like has to do with comics. Like, why are we getting away from that? It's it felt like more of like a graphic novel type. Drawing style where you have these these weird these awesome like inked and then a little bit is color a little bit is not then you have the awesome text on it I don't know it just it it just moved away from that and feels more like fan made now like they just grabbed these from random like deviant art pages and just slapped them onto a from the vault foiling process I don't know it's just me I I think if I I would have liked them better if they kept the black on black but. That's, I digress. The, the the reason you dislike it is the precise reason I like it. Uh, I, I hate the from the vault foiling. Uh, so that was the bit that Chaz threw me. I'm like, oh man. Yeah. But the fact that it's super unique. It doesn't look like a card from any other set. Right? It looks like an altar. Like professionally done. And right. Like mass okay. distributed. That's what I like about it. It looks special edition to me. It looks promotional to me. Whereas every other promo card... It's just limited in quantity, right? The the only exception to this is Elish Norn, the one that's all in uh, Phyrexian. So I, I think cards like that and cards like this really drive on the point that they're promotional, that they're special, that you're not going to open them in a pack. Whereas if you get, like, say, you know, the, the Force of Will promo or something, it, it looks like a card you could have conceivably just pulled out of a pack, right? So I like the unique take on this, and I dislike the black on black. Uh, just from a playability point of view, it's like making... Uh, full art non no text planeswalkers you could not read any of the text on those cards so if you didn't know what the cards did uh you're gonna have a tough time so for for legibility i think going back to this style is cool another cool thing they could do is make a custom frame for san diego comic-con but maybe that's that's just that's just too far that's just too much work but i like the zombies and it, it's cool it fits with the eldritch moon thing we're all zombies and uh, they're going to go fight Emrakul now, and every turn they'll double in quantity. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was going next. I, I think if you were going to go away from the black on black, and you're absolutely right, Richard, that that was kind of an unfortunate side effect. Is <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They were kind of illegible. Like they, If you didn't know what they did, you had no idea what they did. So, But I still like them in the sense, I think you were onto something, and that's kind of where I was going to, where... Maybe you could have just kept like a graphic novel or a comic book like cell style, like with the the formatting of the of the card, 
I don't know. It just seems kind of bland to get like another kind of Magic the Gathering, just straight clear cut. But I guess they're fine. I don't know. I, I'm still not really liking them too much. So can I get uh, your I, copies I, when you grab them off the web store? <laughs> mm, so, sure. Let, you heard it. You heard it on the podcast, guys. We're holding cows up to his word. Now, let, let me ask you guys. I've never actually tried to order these from the web store. What are the odds of that working out? Like, how hard is it to get one of these off the website? Okay, so I did get a hold of one last year. Now, I don't know if they were, if it was harder to get before that or whatever. Maybe I was just insanely lucky, but it felt like the last year's was a little easier to get than, pre, uh, than years prior. It felt like they were on the site for a little longer. Maybe they just had a larger quantity of them. But from what I've been hearing... Each year has a pretty like a, a bit of a larger quantity than the year before, or maybe just now this previous year and this year's that just at a quantity that's a, much larger than the years prior to that. But uh, I've been hearing it's easier because the years before that they were gone within like two, under two minutes. This one, these kind of hovered around for like five minutes, and you get that that refreshing ball of death. And you're just hoping after all of that waiting and all of that putting in your, your credit card information or PayPal information or what have you, all your shipping information, that it goes through. And it, and it did, and I was totally okay with that. But they're definitely easier now. So second question, did, do they actually give you a time at some point or do you just like refresh until they, randomly? They do give you a time. It's about like... 10 30 11 o'clock est from what i remember so they do give you a time and date uh, on when they're going to be updated they they they're very vague it's like the morning of this day so i i usually check in from like 10 o'clock on okay so yeah i remember last year last year was the first year i tried to get them and i got them fairly easily uh there was a time and I believe I woke up at 7 or something, or 7.30, so Chaz is 10.30 Eastern, sounds about right. And I, I pre-made my account, and the site actually worked, so I just added to cart and checked out, and it, it just worked. And I think they're up for a good 5-10 minutes, because after I bought mine, I tweeted it to all the Goldfish followers, and lots of people got theirs as well. So yeah. last year, there was ample time. It wasn't... Uh, you need to be there right there at that time, but there wasn't a problem with like checking out or something. Uh, this year, my guess is it'll be harder because every year Magic gets bigger and bigger. And I think more people will want these than the black ones. So I think it might be harder, but maybe they increase their quantity as well. But as of right now, we don't have any date or time. So sometime right. this week, hopefully uh, Hasbro will release a statement to let us know when they'll be available. They, right. d they do tweet out like when it is officially up, though. So just just wait for that, too. Last question <clears throat> for everyone, actually. How much did you actually pay for them? I think they were like one fifteen with shipping or something like that, something around there. I don't know. Was it the same for you, Richard? Like one fifteen, one twenty? I recall like that. it was like one twenty, so maybe one fifteen. Yeah, something rounded. like that. And I think it was on eBay, like two hundred, two hundred something. Right. Uh, so there's definitely an advantage getting it directly from from the Hasbro shop. Do you think a lot of the people that do it are just trying to get free money? Or are some people, are a lot of people getting them for their collection? I'm going to be very transparent with you. I sold all the ones except for Liliana. So, yeah. I've kept all of mine. I think 
they're super cool. I think they're one of the few unique promos in Magic, and they're worth collecting. But that's just me. Yeah. Oh, and I kept the art book too. There's like a little. There's like a a full frame like art book that comes with it that actually sells for like thirty five dollars or something like that on its own. Yeah, it comes in like this cool suitcase thing. Like yeah, the box has like a little handle on it and. I don't know if they're going to do that for this time, but there's definitely like larger prints of the art that like a full art, like I guess prints that come with it. And again, those are like 30 bucks at least, but I kept that one too. But yeah, most people I, I imagine will just flip it for an easy cash. Yeah. This year might not be so profitable to flip. Last year's had Jace in it. Right. So Jace VP was there. I guess Liliana, the last hope is on an upwards trajectory and we got Gideon now live Zendikar. Uh, so those are the two money planes right. in in this one, uh, but last year's had Jace VP, so it was worth a lot. Yeah, it's it's probably going to be a little harder because the flip walkers. I mean, you still had you had Liliana, you had Jace, obviously, you had Kytheon. Like you had some pretty good pretty good cards to hold value. Like this one, it's going to be like what Nissa Voices Endicar's third printing by this point. the The dual deck didn't come out yet, so it's going to be the regular printing, the dual deck, and the San Diego Comic Con. And then Chandra Flamecaller. Uh. So it's really basically Liliana and, and Gideon. I mean, who really wants a Jason Rattler? I mean, secret? they're all standard playable except Jace. Right. Jace is kind of left out here. But the rest of these have right. seen standard play. So they're actually not that bad. Quickly before we go into Star City Games, rather. Liliana and Legacy? I Someone told me that over the, the weekend on release weekend. I was kind of skeptical. I want your take real quick, Richard. Wait, was there a deck list with Liliana and Legacy? No, no, but they were like, uh, it seems like pretty good in Modern and Legacy. I was like, I don't know. Uh, you could just play Liliana the Veil. Why would you play this? Minus two, minus one doesn't kill Deathrite Shaman. Doesn't kill Stoneforge Mystic. So the, it doesn't the, kill anything. The plus one barely kills anything. It kills an unflipped Delver. Uh, it kills Young Pyromancer or stuff like that. But there's a lot of things it doesn't kill. And I think Liliana the Veil would just be better, no? Unless there's some weird synergy but i can't think of that synergy right and that and that's kind of like i've maybe they were just kind of uninformed because they were telling me oh it kills like so many things in legacy and i'm like wait a minute what does it actually kill it doesn't kill death right doesn't kill true name nemesis doesn't kill stoneforge like what actually does it kill because you, you landed against elves and it's over right? yeah. <laughs> so against elves sure. so people play golgari charm and zealous persecution so but those are usually sideboard cards so it kills a bunch of things like it kills bob uh but it there's a lot of things it does not kill so i don't know that you would main deck this and i guess it's pretty good versus death and taxes right kills thalia kills vrin wingmare whatever yeah it kills I don't know. almost everything in death and taxes except new thalia and stoneforge mystic right so it, it has its uses but there's a it, like if you draw this against a combo deck like what are you going to do with this <laughs> <Probably not laughs> right so it's, it's more narrow than the other liliana and the minus two takes quite a bit of work considering Swords to Plowshares is the premier removal. Right. Meaning you're not going to have anything in your graveyard. Uh, but, I, I mean, I could see it showing up somewhere, maybe sideboard. Uh, you landed against elves, and elves probably can't win if they can't win on the spot. So it does have uses, but as a general card, I, I'm not sure. Well, it still looks really cool, the promo, nonetheless. But we digress. So any final thoughts on the comic-con Seth, did you have any more questions did we kind of get all that uh, i think you covered it i uh awesome yeah i just... probably be there monday morning trying to get mine 
Yeah, I, I mean, I really don't have any other advice to you other than, like, around 10 o'clock, just start spamming F5 and, like, just <laughs> refresh the page. <laughs> well, the, the only so, tip I have is sign up for your Hasbro account. Beforehand. Right, that too. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Yeah, you do have to make an account. And I think it'll see you'll see your previous purchases in there. So I think, like, if you you can gauge it by... Well, if you've purchased before, you can gauge when it'll be up by that time. All right. So, news. Eldritch Moon packs. You can kind of map them, but not really. So, apparently, certain types of art on the packs yield good results. I have actually witnessed this with my own eyes, So, but this is kind of empirical evidence. Saw someone grab two packs with a Liliana art on them, and they were kind of joking around about, oh, this has a Liliana in the pack. Well, by... Golly, they pulled two Mythics and the two Liliana packs. They pulled a Grim Flayer and a Liliana. And now I realize that actually could be a thing. And I don't know what to say about this. This really sucks. Don't buy loose packs. Keep your LGSs honest. By one LGS by someone who tweeted, I think it was Jim uh, Casal, that said his LGS kind of flips over the packs. So no third party, wh- whether they or the customers can look at them. Now, obviously, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but at least it's a step in the right direction. I don't know really how you rectify this. So, Seth, do you want to explain the exact exploit here? Okay, so, and actually, I experienced this in the box I opened for the box opening video, which still, just because it happened to me doesn't mean it's a thing, but there's been a lot of reports of this now. Basically, there is a high likelihood that a box of Eldritch Moon will have most or all of the mythics in the same pack art. So there's three different pack arts, uh, Liliana, Tamio, and something else. I don't know. Uh, so th- Werewolf, okay. Yeah. So this varies from box to box. So you don't really know if you just grab a random pack from a random box. You don't really know anything. But if you start cracking a box, once you open a mythic, if you look at what pack that came out of more than likely all or maybe all except one of the mythics in that box are going to come out of the same type of pack. So if you opened a Liliana pack and got a mythic in theory, you could just pull all the Liliana packs out of that box, open all those likely get pretty much all the mythics and then sell the other pack arts to some unsuspecting person on eBay because they likely don't have many or any mythics in them. Yeah, and that that works, like you said, Seth. Alternatively, it it varies from box to box, so it could be Liliana in one box or Tamiyo in the other box, right? So it it just varies from box. So the moral of the story has always been never buy loose packs, right? Because in the past, I think as recently as RTR, Return of Ravnica, people could map boxes. So there were iPhone apps that, uh, you know, you open a couple boxes, or sorry, a couple packs, and then they can figure out what's in the remainder of the packs. So this is kind of the same. You just open your packs till you find a mythic, and then you know that uh, the pack with the same art will, uh, will have a high probability of having mythics, right? All the mythics will be in those packs. Uh, so never buy loose packs off eBay, uh, Craigslist, whatever, because this could happen. Uh, the, the one twist here is, even if your local game store is not being scummy, uh, people can still game the system now. Say your friend wins four prize packs, and they notice that they got a Mythic in their Liliana pack, 
now when you go collect your packs, uh, you can just grab all the Liliana packs and uh, get a chance at getting the Mythics from the box. So in that sense, it will affect people that aren't trying to cheat other people. And I think what local game stores can do is just turn all the packs face down so you can't see the art, and then I guess that's it. Uh, but like Seth said, there could be a, a scummy game store where they just open like the, the first couple packs and then they find the mythic and then they just open all those packs. So if you see boxes with one type of art missing, uh, maybe be extra careful. Maybe your game store did something special about that booster pack, uh, booster box. But uh, it's, it's a shame. This is, this is out there. Uh, I think I've heard reports that the European languages aren't affected by this. Uh, so far, it's only been the English North American distribution, but uh, it's still relatively new. We just started hearing about it this weekend, so as more people give their data, we can probably get a better sense of the, the scope of this. Do you think there's any chance that this is just like a first print run type issue, or do you think three months from now, when we're on the second and third waves of printing, if this is still going to be a thing? I think this is something that can be corrected. I, I don't know if that is something they actually do, but I guess maybe in this instance they would have to because, I mean, how do you really stop this? You can't really stop LGSs from doing it other than just watching them and who really knows what goes on behind closed doors. Unless the LGS is aware of this then all their players can kind of game them and i i mean i don't know how really much they would care but because they're kind of still selling packs but then they're left with all these leftover packs so it kind of sucks on both ends and i guess really the only thing we can do i mean is turn the pack so i mean i don't know i mean at least if some steps are taken peace of mind can be had but again there's not really much we can do unless it's solved on the distribution end and on the printing end and we've seen this i mean when i when the first innistrad came out there was weird things about these i guess it has to do with the flip cards and like the flip mechanics so there was some weird stuff that went on with that too so maybe this could just just been a huge oops or like our bad on this yeah i think it could be rectified and they've successfully printed flip card sets in Magic Origins and Shadows Over Innistrad right. without any major issues. So I don't think it's that it's always flip card sets. Yeah, I don't know that Wizards is going to fix this because do they still do multiple print runs or do they just do a giant print run? And if they did do multiple print runs, what is the point of fixing the second print run? Like you can never trust the box anyway because you can't tell if it was the first print run or the second print run. So as a consumer, it doesn't actually bring you any peace of mind. So, and, you know, it's going to be expensive for them to fix the process to, to actually fix the, the issue. So I don't think that Wizards will actually fix this because it's, like, the cat's out of the bag. Like, it's kind of it's too late to fix it at this point, right? Unless, you know, they actually make second edition or something that you can distinguish this. Right. So a little bit of consumer tidbit information here. I don't. I haven't. I don't have a box in front of me. I haven't looked at a box. But usually, when they're printed, they have a date on there, like October or when I. Long story short, when I was when I was purchasing my my monitor, my X thirty four, there are actually print runs of that monitor that some of the the kind of issues with the panel were fi- fixed in later print runs, and you can tell. When when this box was manufactured and shipped, 
by the date on the box. Now, again, I don't have a box in front of me, a physical box, but they could do that. I mean, if they did have multiple print runs, you can tell when X box or what box is from what print run by the date on the box. Do you have uh, one in front of you, Seth? I do, and I'm trying to see... I mean, there's some uh, some random numbers and codes, but I'm not seeing anything that is necessarily just a date. Okay. So, yeah, I guess I mean, not. It's going to need more investigation, but it's possible that those random numbers and codes somehow mean the print run. Right. But, yeah, wh- like I said, when I, was, when I was searching and buying my X34, my first one I had to return, but there was a clear date written on the box, and you just have to kind of get lucky or inspect the boxes with the, I guess in my, in my case, the representative to know when exactly that box was manufactured and shipped. So it could happen, but again, Richard, I don't know. Uh, we would have to get clarification on that, whether they print an entire print run at once and just send it out and just keep sending them out until it's over, or they make multiple runs. So, But, I mean, I guess the, the TLDR is there don't might be issues. <laughs> so yeah. uh, don't, don't trust loose packs. And there's a big Reddit thread right now, so you can go check it out. And people yeah. are still finding new information. So this is still a relatively new thing, so we're trying to get to the bottom of it. But uh, it might be dangerous to buy loose packs. So if you see a deal on Craigslist for cheap packs, uh, be wary. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, just as a player, and I guess as if you have a regular LGS, and hopefully more gaming stores and players will become more aware of this, there can kind of just be like an honor code, hopefully. And, I mean, it just has to take everyone's word for it that they're not trying to game each other. So it's it's really unfortunate. A random aside, I guess that's why the person I split the two-headed giant with, uh, we split with the top team. They asked for my Liliana packs, and that makes sense now. <laughs> that may have been superstition. <laughs> I don't know that they were that ahead of the curve. <laughs> Maybe this person just happened to like all the Liliana packs, but I I would do such a thing <laughs> without knowing. I anything do remember about them. It. Pr- they opened a uh, a decimator of the provinces, and I opened poop. So. I think, they I think inadvertently is... used the exploit without knowing. Oh, I got gamed all pre-release weekend. I should have just bought a box like Seth. He got like every every great mythic in a box got like seven <laughs> mythics or something like that. I got I got nothing. Remember we talked well, about my... this. You gave him all your mythics. <laughs> I did. I really did, Seth. There it, you go, man. Do you want my real thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I already got one. Actually, oh. I think I think I looked at it and in. The first box I opened, which unfortunately was not the one I opened on camera, had nine of the ten most valuable cards in the set in uh, it. So it was about as good as it gets, I think. My mirror wing for your Liliana? Come on. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it, Chaz. Uh, it's all right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> so uh, moving on. So week one, Columbus. Some interesting numbers. Seth, you wrote an article. Well done, as always. I, I had some random notes, so yeah, this one. So I have to concede. I try to make. I try to be optimistic as I always do with new sets, but I can't. Richard and Seth, as always, I have to agree with them because White is just so dominant. Twenty-seven out of the one twenty out of the day two metagame breakdown. So twenty-seven out of one twenty did not play White. <laughs> so just so everyone knows that. I mean, I just, it got too good. I mean, you have Thalia, you have 
Gisela, you have Bruna, you have Mono White Jun. There you go, Seth, with, <laughs> with a splash black. That actually was a thing. I mean, how many how many white cards on top of all the good ones that we already had until you just concede the fact that white is just leaps and bounds better than the other colors? And Collected Company is just pretty much leaps and bounds uh, better. But it is one tournament. Seth, uh, if you want to break down some of the numbers that you had, there was some a, a lot of returning dominance uh, in terms of percentages when we look at Reflector Mage, Sylvan Advocate, Jamoka's Command, Collected Company, basically the top five, and now we include Spellqueller in that number two slot. Yeah. Oh, unreal. I mean, the big takeaway from a meta perspective is 29 of the top 64 decks were banned. Most were banned company. There were a few outliers that weren't playing company, but Bant was almost half of the top 64. So that's one big takeaway. Uh, interestingly, green-white tokens and red-white humans, which were the other two big decks, pretty much fell off the map altogether and went from being like 15 or 20% of the meta to a really small percent of the meta at this one tournament, which of course it's important to know it's the very first tournament, so it doesn't necessarily mean a ton over the long term, but it's still interesting. As far as individual cards, it was Spellqueller, really. Spellqueller and Reflector yep. Mage are the, the tag team duo that's dominating standard. And it really almost gives the format this, this feeling like the days of Snapcaster and Vapor Snag, where it's really hard to tap out for four mana and five mana cards that don't impact the battlefield when they uh, when they enter the battlefield with some enter the battlefield ability because you're just going to get tempoed out of the game there were so many times i the one match of the tournament that sticks out in my mind was the black white angel stack which was super sweet it was like our mono white jun list and the poor i forget his name ronnie rittner or something yep was putting so much work into melding into brucella and he was like for turns setting this up and he legend ruled his own Gisela to get it in the graveyard to reanimate it and then he finally flipped it around and they're like oh he's gonna do it and then his opponent just collected companies into a reflector mage bounces it back to his hand wins the game like uh it's those two cards together are essentially the best thing you can be doing in the format and maybe the pro tour will shake it up but I got a feeling that's what standard's going to be about until Kaladesh this fall. Richard. I didn't watch the tournament, but I saw the numbers. And from what Seth's saying, it's pretty doom and gloom. Uh, everyone knew Spellcaller was going to be good, right? It's a, a three to cast two, three flash flying. That's almost playable by itself, but it comes with a counter spell stapled onto it. <laughs> Uh, so that's, that's, that's a big deal, right? And Reflector Mage is the, the good old two-for-one, we know it. And then Collected Company itself is a two-for-one. So if you Collected Company into these two cards, right, you're basically getting a four-for-one. <laughs> so, yeah, these cards are really good. And they, they need to stop printing spells that are playable with bodies that are playable on the same <laughs> card under three converted man three or no, three or under converted mana cost because it's basically a cancel with the body on it this is basically snapcaster mage fused already right without the the work of getting stuff into your graveyard and i i i don't know what the answer to this is we we wanted creature 
we wanted creature focus decks, so we have creature focus decks, but you need spells to make things interesting, so they just stapled all the spells on the creatures, and here we go. And unfortunately, they put them all in the same color, so everyone's playing Bant, and it's so dominant that you, you should just include blue to play these cards, so uh, green-white tokens has gone by the wayside. Uh, but like Seth said, uh, it's too early to call it. We still have the Pro Tour. And uh, last Pro Tour brought us crazy stuff, right? All these decks came out of the woodworks that no one expected. Aldrazi, uh, draft decks upgraded came out. So <laughs> I'm still holding out. Well, the, the new Pro Tour, Eldritch Moon Pro Tour, will will salvage standard, and hopefully Spell Queller will be uh, will be contained. I, I want to agree. I want to say that the Pro Tour is going to shake it up, but I just don't honestly think it will. I mean, remember Pro Tour's Shadows Over Innistrad. What were the two... What, was it still Humans and Bant Company that were still the overwhelming two decks that were brought to the tournament, Seth? I can't remember the numbers right off the top of my head, but wasn't it still like, yeah, we saw like Seasons Pass Control and all these little... Like the Mardu Control and like all these other very... Like these these new decks that we didn't see before, but still the overwhelming majority was still humans and band company and, and band company still made it pretty far into the tournament. I mean, now it's just band company plus spell queller plus Thalia. Thalia was doing huge work on screen. It's like if, if, okay. So band company, if they no, it's like really crazy because I was listening to the, uh, Patrick Sullivan's and Cedric's commentary. It was really great as it always is. And it's just like, if you fall behind against Band Company, which will likely happen throughout the game already, if they slam down a, a Thalia, it's, you, you literally can't come back. You are a turn behind against Band Company, and now you basically can't ever catch up unless you somehow board wipe or get rid of the Thalia. Then they have Spell Queller. It's like, it's, they, they just have way too many tools now. And it's kind of funny that I, I talk with so many different people at, at gaming stores. I talk to you guys. It's like, at what point did they just they, did they just want Collected Company to be like a $50 card in the sense of they just made it too good? Like, it, it just looked way too good now. I, and I, well, a couple of things. For one thing, uh, agreeing with you, actually, Chaz, I think that it's not Spell Queller that's necessarily the problem. It's that Collected Company is too good. I think... Spellqueller is a good card, and it would be played without Collected Company, but it's Collected Company that's pushing its numbers. I think when I broke right. it down, it was essentially, out of the top 64 decks, it was like one copy away from being played as a four of in half of the decks in the top 64. That's how, how dominant it was at this tournament, and that's because of Collected Company. Like Spirits was a thing, and people would still play Spellqueller, but it's Collected Company that's pushing it over the top. The only reason I have hope that maybe this will change is uh, this is a SCG tournament, not a pr really a pro level tournament. And if you were going to pick a deck to try to win with, it's pretty easy to say, well, Band Company was the best deck in our last standard. I can easily slot in two of the best cards from the newest set in Spell Queller and Thalia and just make this already top of the heap deck even better so that might be part of the reason it was so dominant so i'm really interested to see this coming weekend 
because everyone's going to be targeting Bant. You're either going to be playing Bant or you're going to be playing a deck to beat Bant. And if Bant comes out of that weekend putting up similar numbers, then I'm going to be even more scared. So I think maybe this could be a fluke, but uh, we'll see what happens for the next week or two. All right. So what are your predictions for what would beat Bant? Because we already had the lightning fast human decks and apparently they're not good enough. Uh, control decks didn't really exist, but now with Selfless Spirit, uh, Spell Queller to protect against Board Wipes, and Dust Crush Recruiter and Tireless Tracker to give you the long game with card advantage on top of Collected Company, like what would you actually play to to target this deck? Like how would you shut it down? So from what I'm hearing, so I don't know if Spirits is optimized yet, but what I'm hearing in the preliminary like testing and all that, that Spirits does actually have a pretty good game against Company. So I don't know if that just needs to be optimized further when you have the entire Channel Fireball crew or whichever crew just sitting down and testing for the next, what, week and, week and a half or so until Pro Tour. Maybe they come out with a, an optimized list, but they don't really have any way to deal with a bunch of flyers outside of their own Spell Queller. So maybe that's a thing, but I just don't know. I, I mean, I... I can understand where you're set, where where you're coming from, Seth. I'm sure some pro team is going to acknowledge that we need to kind of play against Bant because everyone's playing Bant. But I still think overall it's just going to show up in overwhelming numbers. I mean, and I think that's still a win in terms of the deck is not going anywhere. So what about just like straight up burn? There's no red cards. <laughs> I mean, there's defiance, exquisite firecraft, incendiary flow. It's it's getting there, but they don't. You don't have the raw like curve that they have. Your two drop, once they drop like Sylvan Advocate, it's pretty much over. Like it, it's straight up over. You don't. You literally can't get past Sylvan Advocate like profitably. (laughs) Then they start. They start spell quellering, and then they reflector mage everything, and then like. It's like you just don't have like you don't have your Hell Riders, you don't have your Falconrath Aristocrats, you don't have you don't have basically anything. Like Thermo- your and your burn is terrible. But there's Thermo Alchemist, Chaz. Yeah, <laughs> Thermo Alchemist. <laughs> I think though, really, I think that I don't know what the right deck is, but I think you need to either go under or over bat. Like you, what you don't want to be doing is trying to play the mid-range value game better than Bant. Like, that's the problem with, like, uh, some of the green-black decks that we saw. Like, you're basically just trying to outvalue Collected Company, and you're not going to outvalue Collected Company and Spell Queller and all the cards in that deck. So I think you either got to find a deck that can get in underneath the deck really quickly and then have some reach to finish things off, or be playing things, a ton of removal, and things that are 5, 6, and 7 mana that gets over the Spell Queller counter ability that's yeah, so, too expensive for Spell Queller. Right, so this was my other, this was my other, I took a couple notes here, and I don't know, I, I'm sure Green Black Delirium or some sort of Delirium list will be worked on. I'm, I'm really seeing some good things there. There's something there. I, I think it just has to be taken to the next level, whether that they land on a Sultai list, a Jun list, uh, just straight green-black list, what have you. But, I mean, I we keep going back to this. This was a card that we loved out of the gate. I mean, Ishkana looked amazing on camera. Every time it was cast, it was doing good things. 
and it gets around Spellqueller, it gets around Reflector Mage sort of well, but, I mean, again, like, what, is it just Ishkana? Do you just jam Ishkana and hopefully with enough of them that you just win the game? I don't know, but there's something there. I think what you said is probably what has to end up happening, Seth, is that you just have to just start jamming, like, these big mid-range and the game cards that are just just overpower theirs, and just hopefully you get through all the shenanigans of Reflector Mage, Spellqueller. But if you're playing cards that, that get past those reasonably well, then maybe you have a shot. That Soltai control list that Ali Antrazi was running is definitely something that I would be cooking up to or taking to the next level to try and beat out uh, Collected Company because it did look pretty good, even though it did lose in the finals. Emrakul, Emrakul. Yeah. He finally actually cast an Emrakul, and yeah. it was as good as you would have expected. Like, when you saw the Emrakul actually come yep. down, he had a very hard time losing after that happened. He would, uh, there was a couple of situations where he cast it, and they're like, oh, that wasn't that good of an Emrakul. He just, like, got a 13-13 and slammed two of his opponent's creatures into his Emrakul. It was like a three or four for one, and Cedric and Sly were like, yeah, it was, like, moderately good. So if that's moderately good, Emrakul, imagine when it's actually insane. Yep. I mean, and- it ends games. And he had Traverse to search it up. His deck was really spicy. Like, I really liked his deck. I, I like the kind of decks Elite builds because they're these cool, like, big mana decks. But he had a lot of interesting one-ofs. It almost seemed like a uh, Gerard Fabiano deck. <laughs> the the right. bug, good stuff with a ton of one-ofs. But you could search up his Emrakul, search up the Ishkana, get that stuff back from the graveyard with Den Protector. So maybe something like that has a shot. But it it is a good deck where your expensive cards are expensive enough that they're going over the top of the Spell Quellers or getting around Reflector Mage. Uh, like Emrakul and Ishkana that do something when you cast them or when they enter the battlefield. Right, and you have to just kind of play a, a wide array of different creatures. Like, Ishkana is not very good against Declaration of Stone, but it's pretty good against Reflector Mage and Spellqueller. So you have to kind of have enough diversity where you have good things against different parts of the deck, and you just have to hope that they stick and you can just go over them. Like, exactly what you said. You had Liliana, you had Traverse, you can get Ishkana's back, you can get your creatures back from the graveyard with Liliana. It kind of powers down their creatures. So you had a, multiple different angles to attack Collected Company. I think that's really how you have to do it. It's grueling. It sucks. They have so many different ways that they can just tempo or card advantage you out of the game. And a, a deck like Aliantrazi's is, like I said, a good foundation or a good building block that you can sit down and look to say, well, this is deck is doing plenty of different things as well that it kind of can keep up with that, the multiple attack that is Collected Company, where, like I just said again, they can just do so many different things to you. When I look at the fourth place list by Eric Rill, I know you were talking about green-white tokens, they kind of went to the wayside, but I kind of like this new take on like a higher-end green-white tokens where it's playing four Archangel Avacyn, two Ishkana, a Tragic Arrogance in the main deck, Maybe that's how they have to go and kind of move away from like a token strategy and you just have this like green white like top end list where you have again Ishkana, you have just these ways that you can defend from a multi point attack that is collected company. Maybe you just have to go bigger. Something to think about. I mean they had planar outbursts out of the board. I mean they just had so many different top end 
when Vala, Dragonmore, Dragonlord Dramoka, I mean, th- those cards were not something we saw green in a green-white tokens list just a few weeks prior to this. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you. It is a good example of getting bigger to maybe go over uh, go over that. Although I think that the very foundation of green-white tokens is worse just because Gideon and Nyssa are so much worse in a yeah. world of spell quellers flying. Either, even if they don't exile it when you're casting it, they still give decks like Bant Company a flying creature that they didn't necessarily have to pressure your planeswalkers, which is what Green White Tokens had going for it before, is uh, then clog up the ground and just kind of uh, take over the game with Gideon and Nyssa, which is harder to do uh, when other people have flyers now. Right. So one quick question before we get into fish mail for both of you. Uh, I want to ask both of you. So I guess I'll start with you, Richard, so you can chime in here. What's What's a deck or an archetype or maybe a specific card in general that you were very surprised that you didn't see this weekend that you thought you would see? We have a card we didn't see much of, which was Tamiyo. Okay. Right. Liliana turned out to be the premier planeswalker. Uh, Everyone, as expected, uh, undervalued her. Everyone was like, "Eh, Liliana kind of sucks. And everyone was like, we're probably not evaluating her correctly. Because we all we all were kind of jittery from JCBP, and it turns out that caution uh, was correct because Liliana was the most popular planeswalker. So Tamiyo didn't see much play, which is a big surprise. Uh, Ishkana saw a lot of play, which we kind of expected but didn't really expect. <laughs> so Green Lingering Souls <laughs> made it, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So so we got there. Uh, so zombies. Zombies not a thing still. Vampires not a thing. Uh, uh, spirits was a thing. <laughs> spirits yep. made it. Uh, werewolves no one was expecting, and that didn't show up either. Uh, uh, but basically, zombies. I think people people were hoping that zombies could do something, uh, but they they haven't really done anything yet. Yet. Right. And maybe, spirits. Maybe, you, maybe you... it's brewing at the pro tour house right now. Hey, maybe. <laughs> You tell people there's a viable blue tribe, everyone just flocks. I mean, it was. I I went into the LGS like a couple of stores over the weekend. I I got to draft one time, probably the only draft I'm ever going to do now with this new pack debacle. But I mean, just Mausoleum Wanderer and Spellquarers were literally just flying off the shelf. I mean, they were just as soon as the store had them, they were gone. Uh, Blue White Spirits is basically Bant Company without the green cards. <laughs> right. they, they share the base of Selfless Spirit, Spellcrawler, yep. Archangel Avacyn, uh, and then the, the white removal cards. <laughs> so yeah. the decks are actually quite similar, even though one is Spirit Tribal and one is Bant Good Stuff. Right. So I'm going to direct the question to you, Seth, and I'm probably, I, I know what you're going to say, and I wrote it down here because I was very surprised too, but I will let you answer. Okay, so uh, I guess I'm going to go with Emerge cards. <laughs> yes, I so, knew it. I knew and it. I have to say, I don't, I don't think Emerge cards had a bad weekend. I think they kind of had a good weekend in that people were trying Elder Deep Fiend and Bant Company. People were trying Distended Mindbender out of the sideboard in various like Jun midrange decks and so forth. So the good news about Emerge is... We learn that you don't necessarily have to be a straight up like Mattery Shaper, Eldrazi Sky Spawner, like whatever, blue red emerge deck or blue green emerge deck to play these cards. But 
just by their numbers, they weren't super popular. There's a couple of dedicated Emerge decks near the bottom of the top 64, but I was hoping for more, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that this is another case of everyone knows how to build Bant Company and just slot in Spell Quellers, but people don't really know exactly how to build the right Emerge deck yet, so I'm not going to give up on them yet. I'm hoping that it's just a first-week thing and that it's going to take a little time to figure them out. Yeah, Emerge is just one of those abilities that it's really... I mean, I don't I don't blame people for not trying it out, although kudos to the people that were brave enough to try. It's It's a really weird mechanic... And it can open you up to a lot of disadvantages, but open up a lot of advantages. Like, I mean, Elder Deep Fiend is just insane when it's when it's doing good things. But it's just one of those, it's like you kind of have to do it right in order to do it well. So I can understand like on a week one uh, metagame that people just wanted to be safe. They kind of wanted to build what they thought was just going to be good. The, the Delirium, the Spirits, like that kind of thing where you basically have a deck already built for you. But I, I'm I'm with you here. I don't think we've seen the last of Elder Deep Fiend. In fact, I, I I'm pretty sure it, we will see it soon because I just I don't think I mean that that card is just too good not to play. I, I think it just does way too many good things and just basically tempos your opponent out of the game. I mean, it's a time walk essentially in the right scenario, and I think that's that's powerful enough. So I'm remaining optimistic with you. I think it'll get there. I think those cards yeah. are just too good, but they're going to take a little while to figure out exactly where you can uh, abuse them the most and take the get the most benefit from them. Yeah, I would not be surprised to see either the Decimator of the Provinces or Elder Deep Fiend at Pro Tour, because if it's anyone that can do it, it's a bunch of pro teams sitting in a house for <laughs> hours on end testing and seeing if it's good enough. Maybe we see the Decimator. I mean... Everyone thought Crater Hoof Behemoth was a garbage mythic until it was running over literally the rest of Standard. So hopefully it gets there. I was just going to say, what do you think about playing that in Bant Company? Like, if there's one thing we saw this weekend is Bant Company mirrors getting bogged down on the ground. Right. Couldn't you imagine that being the mirror trump to come right. in with Decimator of Provinces, sacking your whatever, a spell queller or something, and just swinging with all that junk you have sitting around bogged up on the ground? Right, yeah. And, and just to quickly answer that before we get into fish mail, Richard, um, it's good because you're absolutely right. It would definitely break up that stalemate, and it's an on-cast ability, so there's really nothing they can do about it. Yeah, even if it's countered, you still get that mini yeah. overrun on your team. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's you're on to something there. All right, let's move on to fish mail from Scott S. Uh, just getting back into magic with the release of Shadows of In- over Innistrad. And when I did, Jace, Vryn's Prodigy was everywhere. Uh, it was nearly a $100 card at the time. And then Gideon, Ally of Zendikar took over. Now we're back with the new set and Flip Jace seems to be everywhere again and Gideon has disappeared. Is this a normal slash regular progression? Well, yeah, we kind of touched on this a little bit. I mean, now that you have like, cards like Spellqueller, like you said, Seth, and like we talked about, it's a, the, the, the landscape's a little different because it's easier to take down those Planeswalkers, especially for a deck like Bank Company that didn't have that option before. So it's easier to take down Planeswalkers when you're attacking them every turn with a Spellqueller. 
And in terms of Jace, I mean, everyone's trying out Delirium. Jace obviously is great with Delirium, <laughs> turns out. So getting cards into your graveyard is obviously a plus. So yeah, it's just a flux of cards come into favor. They go out of favor just based on the landscape of Standard and what people are looking to do. I mean, like I said, people are just trying things out. So it might turn out that it just goes right back to Gideon being better when Jace is not so good. Yeah, I think it's fairly normal, and it's it's about the, the meta game and looking at the big picture. So we had Fetchlands, which made Jace awesome, then we didn't have Fetchlands, which made Jace bad, and now people are playing blue again, thanks to Spellqueller and all these Bant decks, as well as a renewed interest in Graveyard Synergies for Delirium, so Jace is seeing an uptick in play again. So that is kind of just how Standard works. A lot of cards are like that, and you should expect... Whenever a new set comes out, especially a rotational set with two rotations a year now, that is very possible that the old best cards in standard suddenly fall down a few notches and something new shoots up to the top because there's a, a big shift in the meta when those set releases and rotations happen. Well said. Uh, from Quinn K, new to Magic, having a hard time knowing how to manage a collection and different decks. I've been drafting papers, so I have a ton of bulk. Uh, not sure what to keep or how to organize. I want to play standard, but I'm not sure what to do with the deck after I'm done. Should I sell it back? Should I keep the rares? On Moto, it seems easier, uh, but paper seems more difficult. So he's overwhelmed by the whole process. Any tips uh, for managing your collection and managing standard as a new player? Yeah, I think we had a question like this a few weeks ago. This is a really good question because... I mean, it is really hard to kind of jump in. A lot of things are overwhelming. I think where we 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 kind of led to, you and I, Seth, is try MTGO. It's a really good way. It's a little more inexpensive to kind of get into in terms when it, when you compare it to paper. There's more swingy of prices. You can get most of the cards for much cheaper. And you can kind of play around and at least build a deck on there that you are comfortable with and that you want to build. And play on there before you decide what to do and jump into the paper aspect if you want to get into like grinding tournaments or something like that uh, on a paper level. But I think really MTGO has now become a really great tool for new players if they want to do that to get into there to try things out and just really build things on there because it's so much cheaper than paper. Yeah, I mean, Moto's a great tool, and I will also say, as far as managing your paper collection, it's become more difficult with the more frequent rotations, but generally speaking, if budget in trying to do this as efficiently as possible is your concern, it's generally a good idea to sell your rares back before they rotate out of standard, so buy a deck, play with it. And then hopefully you'll be able to maybe three or six months before rotation sell. You don't have to sell all the rares, but look at the really expensive cards, especially ones that don't see any play in modern or legacy and try to sell those. And then you can use that money to buy into your next deck. So that's the, the most cost efficient way to doing it. You can just hold everything and keep those cards in your collection, but you will sort of lose money over the long run because a lot of cards are going to decrease from their time in standard to when they're in uh, after they rotate and they're only in modern and legacy. Right. And just piggybacking off that, in addition 
to managing your collection, you don't want to be selling back when everyone else is selling back. So by the time buy lists or when stores or other players aren't really looking for those cards anymore, you kind of want to be ahead of the herd in that sense. Uh, even if it co- means like not playing standard for an extra couple weeks, uh, you're, that's kind of how you get the maximum return on the stuff that you're you're playing with, and it helps you get into that next deck for the next standard. Yeah, and to reuse my answer from last time, uh, <laughs> try to get some friends. <laughs> you're uh, right. You right. guys can each build a deck of different colors, and between your whole group, you should probably have a playset of every standard staple if you do that. And therefore, you can now mix and match the cards, borrow cards off each other, borrow decks off each other. And basically, you get the benefits of the collection of the group without having to fork over all the money. So kind of like a collection timeshare or something. Uh, so having right. having friends, uh, having a lot of friends that you play with uh, would be good. And they don't have to be like your best buddies, like just people you know at the local game store. Usually if you go there often enough and they recognize your face, they'll let you borrow decks. They'll let you borrow uh, key cards for decks and things like that. Last question from Emil L. Uh, this is in regards to the reserveless uh, legacy dis- discussion we had earlier. Ooh, okay. Uh, would a solution be to print non-modern and stangle- standard legal versions of cards with minor changes in names and an added rules text cannot be played alongside the original version in the same deck or sideboard? sideboard. Uh, so basically reprint underground c as underground something else but you can't play those two cards in the same deck i don't think they'll ever they would ever do that yeah i don't think they can because right th- there is some stipulation where it can't be functionally similar because uh they could theoretically make underground ocean or something and have it just be the the blue black dual land uh people are saying even the legendary version of the dual lands would be too close uh so i don't think they can do that legally uh, but in the more general sense, uh, my answer has always been, I don't think they care enough to do anything at all. <laughs> right. Uh, Which is usually correct. I this, mean, this, this, this was my answer before. And, you know, if, if they did, uh, I think their answer would be, we would abolish the reserve list rather than try to legally skirt around it like this. Uh, so if they, if they actually want to go this direction, I think they would just get rid of it rather than play these games where everyone knows what they're doing and they're trying to get some legal loopholes or something. Yeah, and I think they've shot down like this kind of thing numerous times. And Richard, you and I, and and Seth is you, uh, you as well, have even talked about this uh, when we've talked about this t- thing numerous times. That we've now known that even like the spirit of the reserved list, that like they can't even go anywhere near these cards in like a a functionality sense in, in printing, like you said, Richard, like a, a legendary version of these or changing the name. It can't be anywhere near these cards. So, yeah, I don't know. Just make ancestral dreams blue. Draw four cards. Boom. Right there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I said, I don't. I don't think they're gonna. They're gonna do it. There's many ways to do it. They can just make better dual lands if they wanted to. Uh, gain lands. You know, a dual land that gains you a life for some reason. So they they could just straight up make better ones. But uh, I don't think they would do it. I think they would abolish the reserve list first. They would try to be honest with the players. I suspect. Uh, yeah. You know, saying, you know, we, we made a bad choice and now we're going to fix it as opposed to trying to weasel their way in and printing technically similar but not similar cards. I think the closest we've come to this is what the harmless offering card. It was pretty similar to donate. Yeah, is I think donate that's different, list? though. Donate yeah. is reserveless, but 
it's an entirely different color, which I think makes it a different card. Because you could look at the cards in, uh, like, most of Time Spiral or Future Sight Block. There's a lot of color-shifted versions of older cards there. So I think it counts as a completely different card if it's in a different color. Right. But don't don't expect, like... Time Twister as like a green card or something like that. So well, I, don't, I don't think we'll make a, a blue black lotus with the <laughs> void on it. And it costs zero. Yeah. The, the the thing is, there's very few situations where you can get away with that without blatantly violating the color pie, which is something else Marrow in specific really cares about, but Wizards in general. So harmless offering is kind of a unique situation because. It does make sense as a red card. In modern times, you could argue that it makes more sense as a red card than a blue card, really, that effect. So I don't think there's many other situations like that where you could easily color shift a reserve list card without violating the color pie. Right. All right, that wraps up the fish meal. Awesome. All right, gentlemen, I think this was a great cast. Anything out the door? Any last kind of little tidbits? Uh, No, so Pro Tour is in... Two weeks. Two weeks. So next week when we podcast, we'll have our San Diego Comic-Con cards in hand, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least our orders place, hopefully. Yeah, right. And then in two weeks, we got the Pro Tour where everyone will show us that Spell Queller was just overhyped and not good. No, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, the, it's, it's August 5th through 7th. Yep. Australia. Yep. Oh, <laughs> Oh, good, good time zone. Good time zone. <laughs> oh man! Hopefully they do the replay. This sucks. Oh, but how how are you going to get hype on Twitter if you're watching a replay? You got to watch it live. I, are, how are my Twitter followers going to get hyped when they're all sleeping at four in the morning? Uh, we'll, we'll wake them up. We'll make sure they're awake. This really sucks. <laughs> this has got to be the worst time zone. This I, has to be the worst. I think it starts at like 11 p.m. or something uh, my time, so it literally is like a third shift job or something that goes through the entire great, night. Yeah, it's literally like graveyard shift. Oh. Yeah. Uh, zombies at the graveyard shift? I'll take it. <laughs> the things we do <laughs> for magic. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that wraps things up for this week. We will be back next week. And until then, enjoy another week of Standard. And get yourselves hyped for the Pro Tour. Hopefully uh, you get yourselves a San Diego Comic-Con pack. Because if not, you're sending it to Richard. Because <laughs> he loves them. All right. Uh, this is going to be the crew signing out. Thanks for joining us this week. <laughs>